All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Miss something from the Todd Feinberg Show? Listen to the podcast on WTIC.com slash podcast. WTIC, Ben in New Hartford. We have just a minute here. Do you want to do this minute or you want to wait a few minutes more? No, I'll, I'll do it, Todd. Thank you. I just wanted to say very quickly the debate tonight. I'm excited. I don't know how many votes it actually sways, but I think it's similar to like a World Series or a sporting event. I think everyone just wants their team to win and they want them to do a good job. So that that's all I wanted to say about that. And I was curious to think to see what you thought about that. Do you think it really sways votes at this point in the game? Uh, don't answer that now. And then lastly, I was thinking about this on my way home i don't know over the last two years we may have seen the solidification of the medical industrial complex you've seen Tulsi gabbard talk a lot about the military industrial complex a lot lately but you know with anthony fauci at the helm companies like pfizer and moderna and the u.s government i think we saw that the formation of the medical industrial complex and i just wanted to get your thoughts on that so thank well, you very much for taking yeah, my call both uh, wonderful questions, Ben. Thank you so much for asking them. Because, in uh, particularly, I like the second one. A couple of weeks ago, I played that clip of Dwight Eisenhower warning the country uh, about the military-industrial complex. And to have a former general issuing that kind of warning, he was shaken, it seemed. Anyway, um, we'll talk more about it. Thank you, Ben. Coming up, 860-522-9842. And the rant line number, 860-751-4698. More coming up on WTIC. Is- it's the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. WTIC, good afternoon. I'm very excited about that question that Ben just asked because I, I want to revisit this. Well, first of all, here's the clip. We hear this phrase all the time. It's become a part of our culture in a way that few phrases become part of the conversation. You know, there are famous phrases from uh, an occasional presidential speech that get repeated. I guess, uh, ask not what you, your country can do for you is is one from JFK, but it doesn't. It, it doesn't have any sway over the culture, but this, what Dwight Eisenhower said in the, in the um, late 1950s, you know, just 12, 13 years after the end of World War II, this guy who was a general in World War II, and that's how he got elected president, was scared. He was shaken by the power of the American military. What he saw that had been created in World War II Right. Nobody anticipated this. There's a world war or maybe they did. But we didn't you know, the people didn't know about it. And probably most people in government hadn't thought about it. But the whole American economy got turned over to the creation of a defense of the country in World War Two. And Ike was looking at it a decade plus later and he was saying, wow, this thing is dangerous. This is spinning out of control. 
And this is what he said. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. A permanent armament industry. Now, why would he fear that, do you think? I think it's because the American government had been a, a well, it had been constitutional, perhaps, up to that point, in that it hadn't grown disproportionate in its power. Because the idea of our system was to deliberately not allow power to amass in the federal government to keep it in the states. And, of course, the, the political deep state types, even before maybe anybody imagined such a thing, they're always working to move more power away from the states and into the hands of the federal government. Anyway, more of the clip. Our military organization today bears little relation to that known of any of my predecessors in peacetime. So he's going back before World War II and saying, wow, nobody has ever dealt with anything like this. And even FDR, who didn't deal with it until World War II. And then, then that big machinery of American power got built. Or indeed by the fighting men of World War II or Korea. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. The disastrous rise of misplaced power. I love that phrase. For the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists. The, that danger exists. That's what he was saying uh, 60 years ago. 60 plus years ago, 63, 64 years ago. He was nervous for the future of the country. Now, Ben asked about the medical industrial complex, a phrase thrown around now in politics and by Tulsi Gabbard. And I never heard, uh, made this connection before, but when I was a few weeks ago playing this Dwight Eisenhower cut, it occurred to me that this is what we're experiencing now, that it's not that 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 it wasn't just an issue of the military industrial complex. That phrase gets repeated as if the only thing we have to fear is the military being too big and too strong. But what's happened now is the entire government, the entire American system has been turned into what. Dwight Eisenhower was warning us was going to happen and was happening to America vis-a-vis -vis the military-industrial complex. Now everything is a complex of some kind, industrialized power, external to the government. And even the government operates external to the government. In other words, you look at what Ned and the Democrats are doing in Connecticut, and this is the real lesson, I think, of what's going on here, is that the, the, the government has become separated from the idea of governance, and it's a, a shadow government. It's a facade that stands up and pretends to be operating a democratic system, but there is no democratic system in Connecticut. And I think in most states that's probably the case, and certainly in the federal government. The power that now rests inside of agencies like the FBI and the CIA and all the spy agencies. There was a famous um, incident, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 years ago, when Dianne Feinstein was the head of the Senate Intelligence Committee. And she was horrified that her committee, which was doing investigation as it is charged to do as an oversight committee of the CIA, I think it was, might have been the NSA 
they were her Senate committee was investigating as they were supposed to be doing what was going on inside the executive branch in the military industrial complex expended extended out into the spy agencies and she was horrified to learn that the spy agency had broken into the computers of her staff of Diane Feinstein's Senate staff in order to remove evidence that they had collected of malfeasance on the part of of the the spy agency this is where we are as a country that these big independent executive agencies which operate outside of the reach of our elected representatives for the most part which they like by the way they created the situation so that they don't have to be responsible they can just say oh that's not us you know that's the department of blank 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 well that's how we lose control and in connecticut the power of the independent departments to employ to fight to maintain the status quo to waste money to do favors for friends to rig the political system that's what matters most to those in governance they don't care about whether the programs have efficacy or not they they like the programs not to be effective they're perfectly happy and we know that because they never go back they don't campaign on how they have to cut power to an agency they don't campaign about how much money they're gonna well they might mention cutting waste and uh, and whatever as a way of saving money but they never actually save money they never cut a budget they only come back looking for more money all the time and to me this is an extension of what President Eisenhower was talking about during the 1950s for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists we have now experienced the disastrous rise of misplaced power and it started maybe with the military industrial complex as feared by Dwight Eisenhower but now it's every agency it's all a big self-perpetuating disaster that nobody holding elective office will stand in the way of because it's the machinery that nullifies the effect of voters if you can be paying if you're in government and government can be paying some large percentage of the population's salaries and make sure those salaries are a little too high and make sure those the, the there are little tricks inside the system so they can get way disproportionate pensions and benefits well they they love that they're perfectly happy with that that's what they want to sustain and that's why they created public sector unions to to be able to rip you off more easily and without being noticed and even have the ripoff be institutionalized and, and increase the theft automatically on a regular basis it's remarkable how uh, to to what an extent our own government is the enemy of our best interest it's it's a shocking thing and that's what I think Dwight Eisenhower was warning about and in a sense the cut from Dan Malloy that I play all the time is another way of saying the same thing this is Dan Malloy talking about how it didn't matter that he did two of the biggest tax increases in the history of the state when he had his eight years in office that money didn't improve anybody's lives except one group of people 
If you look at what we are spending, every cent of additional revenue that has come in since 2011 goes to pay pensions, teachers and state workers. Isn't that amazing? This is just the most amazing relic of his uh, time in office. I just can't believe he ever said this. He said it to the Hartford Current in a, uh, in a meeting, an editorial board meeting, when he was being asked questions by the, uh, you know, this was a few years ago when the Current still was uh, operating as a uh, old-fashioned kind of news organization. And, and uh, they got this on tape. They never did much of anything with it, but it was one of the most remarkable confessions ever. I'll play, I'll play it again for you. If you look at what we are spending, every cent of additional revenue that has come in since 2011 goes to pay pensions, teachers and state workers, and other post-employment benefits. Every single cent and more. Isn't that ending? <laughs> <laughs> Malloy didn't want to make sure wanted to make sure nobody was confused about whether he was exaggerating. Every single cent and more. All of those tax increases were robbed. They were always intended for the purpose of robbery, not to pay for the future, which is what they tell you when they run around selling things to you. Remember Ned when he was doing the, the toll thing? He was selling the future. We're going to have a better future if we get tolls. But that wasn't the purpose. The purpose was to be able to pay for the past, that we have been so damaged by the election rigging scheme known as public sector unions that there is no way to survive except to constantly increase taxes. That's why Ned raised taxes a couple billion dollars and now pretends he didn't because lying is a better way to win an election than explaining the truth. And as long as he can keep you in the dark, how, how does he get blamed for something he doesn't accept responsibility for? Every single cent and more. How does he get blamed for something you don't know he did? It's even too complicated for somebody running for office to, uh, for statewide office to articulate what the Democrats' Dr. Evil scheme is. Because then it sounds like you're attacking state workers as opposed to attacking the people who have made them uh, their business partners, like the Democrats have, and who have cons conspired to create a system where you get ripped off with every paycheck. And people are taking the big tax increases and, uh, you know, sitting in their wherever their retiree places maybe they're in florida or north carolina or whatever and they're collecting these um benefits that are not available to the rest of us again this is nothing against state workers this is against the idea of having a rigged system like this it's anti-american and anti-democratic so anyway when don called up an over an hour ago now and yelled at me saying well how come you never talk about why we should vote for bob stefanowski well because I don't feel the need to talk about the alternative, even though you're right on some level that the you, you deserve a sales pitch on the alternative. But go to Bob's website and you can find all the information, I'm sure, and, and read read the stories that get written about the press releases he's having every day. The more important thing is the state has been stolen from you. The state government has. And 
every time Ned's having a press conference or answering questions or talking, so think about this when he's doing the debate tonight. Everything he's saying is a contrivance, a phony line that he's memorized as something to say to make sure you don't get what's actually going on. He won't ever do what Dan Malloy did, which is to confess why you're being robbed and actually admit to a specific theft, a conspiracy to commit to defraud the people of the state that he was part of. He's not going to give that away like Dan Malloy did. If you look at what we are spending, every cent of additional revenue that has come in since 2011 goes to pay pensions. There you go. That's what it's for. Wayne in Bristol is online. What's up, Wayne? Hey, how you doing, Todd? Um, I have just a quick question for you. I, I wonder if you have any outlook on the... Uh, November 8th election, if you see us winning anything, if you have any predictions on it, what, what's your outlook on it? My prediction is if if people like you mobilize and go to vote, then it's easy to win. The, yep. Do, the Donald Trump victory in 2016 was because his campaign was smart enough to go after disillusioned voters who normally don't vote and yep. to motivate them to vote. And that's what has to happen right now. There has to be enough disgust over how badly the state is being mistreated, the malfeasance that's going on, the criminal activity that the Democrats who control the state engage in on a regular basis, and defraud people who go to work every day. And, and while they're defrauding you, they tell you new fraudulent stories about why they need more money instead of telling you what, what Dan Malloy said, which is the purpose of that money isn't to make anything new happen. It's to pay all these debts we've these obligations we have to state workers. Well, I, I can guarantee I will be there to vote, and it isn't going to be for Democrats. <laughs> All right, Wayne, you're going to watch the debate tonight? Yes, I will. 7 o'clock, I think, Channel 8, or you can listen here on WTIC. I will do that. Have a good day. Thank you. Rock and roll, Wayne. Thank you for the call. Appreciate hearing from you. If you look at what we are spending... Every cent of additional revenue that has come in since 2011 goes to pay pensions, teachers, and state workers, and other post-employment benefits. Every single cent and more. Dan Molloy was no less of a thief than Jolly Ned, but he wasn't an incompetent thief like Jolly Ned is. He was very good at, at ruining the state. 860-522-9842. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to
to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust us. You don't want to ask Alexa what 10 to the power of 308 is. But you could ask her to play WTIC News Talk 1080. That's safe. So, by the way, one of the things that makes, um, that creates what people refer to as rhinos, Republicans in name only, uh, particularly at the state level, has to do with this election rigging scheme that the Democrats have where they try to grow the state irresponsibly and destructively and, and deliberately try to, to grow the cost of operating the state so that they can pay more money to people than the market would require. The reason there are rhinos there in, in certain issues is because they are afraid to articulate exactly what's going on because then that forces them to confront this huge voting block that's in the bag for the democrats or at least uh, perceived to be so you have a lot of people who are republicans who are in districts where they've got to be very careful what they say and sculpt their at least this is their perception of it they, they sculpt what they say and and um, how how honest they are against their perception of how they can be viewed, of what that sculpture of themselves looks like and, and, and their beliefs. So it's important for everybody to understand that the rigged system that Bernie Sanders was referring to, he was talking about the whole government. And when Dwight Eisenhower was talking about the military-industrial complex, he was warning about what would happen, whether he knew it or not, he was seeing what was happening with the military, but he was actually f- foreshadowing what was going to happen with the entire government, that the operation of the government would become separated from the premise of the government and would become a destroyer of the thing that it was supposedly operating. And that's where we are today in America. The government is not operated for the best interests of the people on the state or the federal level. It's operated for the best interests of the special interest groups who are the benefactors of the largesse that is the, the rigging system. The money paid is to protect for programs. The programs uh, operated by the government, they're there to make sure the government sustains and that they get reelected. That's where we are. 860 Chris Healy will be here when we continue on WTIC. Now, back to the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. 
Good afternoon. Tuesday afternoon debate tonight at 7 o'clock. We will have it live here on WTIC. You can see it on Channel 8. Joining us now for a little update on politics and such, Chris Healy, Executive Director of the Catholic Conference of Connecticut. Chris, welcome back. Great to be back, John. What's your uh, assessment of things? Where are we at in this political moment? Are you talking macro or micro? Or Whichever one strikes your fancy, you're the surgeon. Oh, well. Uh, well, I do think that the, um, the trend line for Republicans is obviously surging in their favor, uh, I think, pretty much everywhere in the country, with a few exceptions. Um, the polling shows it. Um, and if you just use historic barometers of off your elections after a presidential year and add in the issues that people care about. Again, these aren't necessarily the issues I'm saying are important. It's what the people are saying important, which, you know, include the cost of living, a, a fear of personal safety, a fear of um, the kind of education children are getting, uh, and the issues that we care about in the Catholic faith having to do with life and uh, uh, its beginning and to its natural end, as well as school choice and those types of things that, that people, uh, you know, tend to punish the incumbent parents uh, for their perceived uh, frustration and mm-hmm. misery. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's a, I think it's pretty, uh, if you look at the, the level of enthusiasm from a distance, if you spend any time reading tea leaves or wandering around the state, I would say that uh, uh, the Republicans, at least on from a peripheral point of view, seem to be a little bit more energized, including here in Connecticut. But, um, you know, a lot of it just, as they say, comes down to the actual election day um, implementation of their getting out the vote and see what happens. It's a, it's it's nothing new. Uh, I think we've, you know, the, the the media dishonesty about polling is given been given yet another chapter. What do you mean by uh, that? What's the media dishonesty? Well, I mean, the media, the proliferation of meaningless polls or polls that are driven for click, you know, for attention Mm -hmm. rather than really trying to assess uh, a a real mood of the electorate. And now you see all the polls that had Democrats up by 20 or 15 points as late as two weeks ago are now neck and neck. And how thrilled the media was over reporting that unusual thing that they hadn't expected over the summer. Well, uh, you know, the issue of abortion, while we're talking about issues of importance to Catholics, is this, that the abortion decision, Dobbs, certainly, I think, energized for a short period of time those who were disappointed by that outcome. Obviously, it was a great moment in, you know, the history of, uh, I think, jurisprudence, because it sends this issue back to the states where it belongs. And then once people figure that out and realize that nothing was going to change until the legislative branches of every state convened, uh, they got back to some of the issues that really matter. I don't think it really was as big a deal uh, as the the media implied it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can't get over the fact that we are in a very, very challenging economic time. Uh, We have real issues having to do with the cost of living, the availability of energy, the availability of food, the availability of critical supplies at a a reasonable cost. And that cuts across every income group, every race, every creed. Um, And that has not changed. And one can argue it has gotten worse. So uh, then you add these other 
which are euphemistically called cultural issues, but they're they're basically we call them faith issues. These are what people really believe in their heart or mm. where their moral guidance guides them, and they see a society that is mired in a death culture, mired in in, in blurring of the genders, blurring of the traditional Judeo-Christian values that have served our country and spawned our country. And I think a lot of people are are, are, are fed up with it and are going to register their votes accordingly. Uh, once How do you, up. is that, I just want to go back to the umbrella you were putting all that under. Where does this, the, the blurring of the lines on things like gender, to me this is goes beyond uh, what you're describing it as, I think, but correct me if I'm wrong, this is a desire to cause some kind of cultural chaos. If there are no uh, traditions, if there are no beliefs, if there are no boundaries to things, if there are no structures of how to look at life that are presumed by the culture, do you have a culture? Well, you don't, and, and these are moral precepts that we believe in, and it's also a matter of science, how you know the human being evolves, and we believe created in the image of God, that men and women are distinct uh, creatures of God, uh, and that what has happened in our public policies is we've tried to destroy the family by uh, weaponizing gender dysphoria among children, uh, allowing children to be abused or to be pawns in this game. Uh, I think a lot of parents are figuring this out. Uh, they read about the state policies in Connecticut uh, through the Department of Education, which empower teachers to play a role in this gender dysphoria, which they have no business playing a role, in my opinion. Uh, but they do anyway. They take in loco parentis to a whole new level and keep parents sometimes in the dark. Then you have the other issue of whether uh, children who are children who are undergoing these sorts of confusing moments, which require therapy and love and understanding and guidance into things such as gender reassignment and surgery and, and all these other ghoulish uh, child abuse-like deals that people are, are figuring out. And they say, well, how did this happen? Well, the culture was allowed to be taken hostage by certain people in power, whether it's the federal or state level, led by our president, who last week, and I said this earlier, uh, you know, supported the or opposed the idea that a state could limit uh, surgeries on gender reassignment in hospitals for, for children. Uh, he said that too last week to a bunch of cultural, you know, TikTokers, if I use that term properly, mm -hmm. one of whom was a 25 year old transvestite performance artist. So I think people, <laughs> a nice cross section of America. Huh? Well, I mean, again, this, I want to make very clear. We're not talking about adults here. What adults do at age 18 upwards is up to them as long as they're not hurting anybody. But we're talking about children here. And you can't joke about that. And you can't uh, empower the state to take over the roles, proper roles of parents. Mm -hmm. And so two decisions this year by the Supreme Court, you know, brought to bear people to have these important discussions. One had to do with abortion, with the Dobbs decision. The other had to do with the fact that now, you know, um, tax dollars, whether they're federal or state, can be used to support parents to find alternative forms of education other than public education. And that's not permitted now in, in Connecticut. And we're hoping through the Catholic Conference and other religious groups that we can finally engage on a, on a real school choice program that, that helps students and 
in educational circumstances where they, they don't have a choice or they have underperforming schools, they can take uh, and that state monies can be used to promote them to another form. Well, of well, that would be beneficial across the board, not just in particular categories of education. If you're going to the best public school in, in the state, it would still be good to have a few competitors that you could choose from that might line up with your particular interests better. Chris Healy is our guest. He's executive director of the Connecticut Catholic Conference. But this, um, you know, everything you're speaking about, Chris, speaks to the need of there needing to be some force in the culture that represents some kind of moral guidance, some way of evaluating the way we move, because we have a conflict of interest, I think, in that the political class is playing the role that the the religious class used to play of being a counterbalance, looking, examining things and saying, where are we headed? What is the nature of these things? And that's all been wrapped into one bundle that doesn't have the best interest to humans in mind. It has the best interests of their winning elections in mind. Well, with respect to the separation of church and state, you know, we people of faith believe in our, we, we, we dedicate our lives to God and we try to follow the precepts of our church to be good citizens of the Lord and our, our community. Um, and we don't believe the state necessarily uh, can and shouldn't be preventing that or minimizing that or second-guessing that. But it also shouldn't be we, taking over that role, do you think, without anybody? I mean, I'm just talking structurally. There, I'm, And I'm not talking about separation of church and state and, and violating that in some way. There needs to be some some uh, foundational structures that guide our society, and it can't all be government. Well, it shouldn't be government. We shouldn't allow the government to become so powerful that people defer those moral judgments and the uh, functioning of their lives to default to the government to take care of everything. That's a very dangerous thing to happen. Um, we have elections for that purpose, but even after elections, the, the electorate needs to be engaged to make sure those elected officials... Uh, follow the follow the guidelines of the Constitution, both the state and the federal Constitution, to guarantee these individual rights uh, that allow us to think and act as free people, and to and to follow our moral guideposts in in in, in, our, in our daily lives. And you know, the problem we've seen here is um, we think that the government is becoming a little bit more powerful than it's been given responsibility for and we just need that's why it's important for people who listening whether they're catholic or protestant or evangelical or whatever to you know use their moral compass to try to make decisions on who they vote for but also to be active engaged participants in voting uh, that's essential for our culture for our our, our republic, as we say, not our democracy, our republic. Yes. What else, Chris, what else do you want us to know that is bouncing around your brain this election season? Well, I just think it's uh, not, not much else except, you know, to, for those who are, you know, thinking about what lays ahead for our state and our country. You, you need to make these, you have the power in your, in your vote to decide these very important issues. And it's important, no matter what you decide, no matter who you vote for in either party, uh, that you are engaged and you are thinking of things that can make our world better and put us on a structure where we are cherishing life at all of its stages, from its natural conception to its natural end, and that we 
value life and we protect it every step of the way. Um, and I think that's the one thing that, that I wake up every morning trying to impress upon people. Yeah. Because after that, the rest of these issues will uh, take care of themselves if we're guided by that you know, simple premise. I really feel as, it, you know, I've, I've been going through this progression as we've had the conversation that, that we need some way to get more voices into the, con- some kind of analytical conversation about where we're heading as a society and why. And because people don't have anyone identifying for them the decisions that are made incrementally that lead to these huge changes in where we are as a culture. Well, I, I think people are a little bit more. The oddity is that I think we've become so uh, desensitized by, uh, you know, everything from the cell phone to nonstop media impulses and social media that we've become sort of deadened to what's really important. But I do think that the after effect of the pandemic caused a lot of people to spend a lot of time with themselves and their others to, to ponder these issues a lot more than you think, and I think this election is going to reflect that. That a lot of people have had time to evaluate their lives, the importance of family, the importance of God in their lives, uh, to provide guidance and strength. Where do you, you get know, this like, sense, Chris? Well, I get it. You know, when I go to church, I go to a lot of different churches, and churches have refilled up. You know, I've, I, you know, I kind of try to observe the fact that parents around the state, in at least twelve to twenty towns, I have. have risen up to object to some of the curriculum that's being foisted upon uh, their children, uh, which is not really reflective of a good learning experience. So I see that happening at the grassroots level. You don't read about it, obviously, because the media is not interested in that, because that runs counter to the, the narrative of, a, of the, uh, the all-powerful education lobby. But I could name 12 to 15 towns where that's going on. It's all over the state. So that shows parents are once again engaged in their children's lives, which is a very good thing. And so those are kind of things I see and hear and read about. Uh, and one hopes and prays that that'll continue and grow. It's not going to end with one election. It's going to take a long time to turn back a lot of this, um, a lot of these long-term policies that I, unfortunately are not serving our society well on any level. I, I think um, I tell people all the time to be positive because if you were 50 years ago on the left trying to figure out how to carry our culture to where we are today, you would have said it's impossible. And right now, people who want to make it go back where it was think it's impossible. But if they could dismantle it, then we can put it back together. You know, it's not a question of going backwards. We can't recreate the 1950s any more than we can create the 1970s. Every issue, every, you know, history is you know, the society and the culture evolves over time. But, but getting back to the basics of life and the basics of charity and humility. Yeah, we, uh, sorry, we just have 30 seconds, so give us a quick Well, nap. just getting back to those things are timeless, and I think we are getting back to that. I'm, I'm encouraged by it. I hope people who listen will engage on it, not be not despair, realizing that uh, we can reach a better future if people put their backs into it and are diligent. Chris Healy, Executive Director of the Connecticut Catholic Conference. Appreciate your time, and it, it was a really interesting conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Todd, as always. All righty. I like that. I hope you did. <laughs> oh, man, we have to figure out a solution to these problems. And, and looking at them from the big picture, the macro, that's what we just did, the macro.
that's uh, that's something we need more of. 860-529-842. We're going to do the rants in the next half hour, I do believe. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.